that's exactly how I think of it too. Like the German part is, is more German, like slightly more orderly somehow. And the French part <laughs> is slightly more obnoxious and the Italian part is slightly more laid back. Like yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a funny, really little country when you look yeah. at it on a map that has a lot going for it. Out of the 10 most visited cities in 2015, I have been to seven of them. I'm missing number 10, Hong Kong, number 9, Seoul, and number 4, Dubai. But you better believe I'm going to be making every effort to get to those cities as soon as possible. And when I do do that, I will be traveling with my Tortuga backpack. Now, maybe I will bring my Tortuga Air instead of my regular Tortuga backpack. That is still determined. But the reason that I love the Tortuga backpacks is that they are the perfect size. They're big enough to pack anything that you could want for a trip, but they're small enough to be considered carry-on size by the airlines. And I highly recommend traveling with just a carry-on. So if you're someone who's going to be traveling and you want a good-sized backpack, but you want it to be small enough that it's carry-on, you don't have to wait for check bags, anything like that, I highly recommend checking out Tortuga backpacks.com. They've got a few different styles there. Pick the one that works for you. Maybe pick both. Maybe you want an air and a regular Tortuga like I have. If you do that, make sure to use our special promo code that is EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters, because that will get you 10% off your entire order, no matter what you decide to get from Tortuga Backpacks. How would you like to be a part of history to make my day and also have the chance of winning a $50 Amazon gift card. I've got a really important favor slash announcement to tell you about right now. And that is that I started a brand new podcast. It's called Location Indie. That's I-N-D-I-E, Location Indie with Jason from the Zero to Travel podcast. Many of you already know him from him being on this podcast quite often, but we started a brand new podcast and our goal is to get this to become the number one podcast on iTunes in the world. That will be ahead of big name podcasts with big production crews like Serial, like NPR, all of those podcasts. This would be the first time that a small, I guess you call it small business podcast just done by two regular guys would ever be number one on all of iTunes. And there's a really simple way that you can help us become number one on iTunes. And that is if you're listening on the podcast app on your phone, or if you're listening on your computer, you need to open up iTunes if you're listening on iTunes. And that is to then search for Location Indie. That's I-N-D-I-E, Location Indie, two words. Search for that either on the podcast app on your phone or on iTunes. And we need you to go in and subscribe to this podcast on February 22nd, or Wednesday, February 23rd. So Tuesday, February 22nd, or Wednesday, February 23rd. The more subscribes that we can get in a 24-hour period, that will give us the chance at landing at number one on iTunes. So all you have to do, search for Location Indie, I-N-D-I-E. When you find that, hit the little subscribe button there. Then if you want to, you can also leave us a rating and review. That also helps. But the big thing is that you hit subscribe, you subscribe to this podcast, and then you go and leave a rating and review if you want to as well. Now, I talked about a $50 Amazon gift card. We love you guys. We want to show you our thanks for the support that you've been giving us for our own podcast as well as for this new location indie podcast. So we're going to be giving away $50 Amazon gift card. We're going to also up it if we hit the top 10 will be giving away a second $50 Amazon gift card. And if we hit number one, we'll be giving away a third $50 Amazon gift card. And the way we're going to know who subscribed is for you guys to then go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash survey. All you have to do is leave us your name and your email address. That's how we will reach out to you if you're one of the people who wins. We're going to pick numbers at random, and that's going to correspond with those email addresses. So what you have to do in order to be entered into the drawing. And to help us out, you have to go either on your podcast app on your phone or iTunes, find Location Indie, I-N-D-I-E, subscribe. If you want to, please leave a rating and review. That's not necessary, but that of course helps. But you have to subscribe. Then you go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash survey. Give us your name and your email address and we will reach out to the people who won. Thank you guys so much. We have a chance to make history here as the smallest podcast ever to be number one on iTunes. We just started this. Last week, it actually just launched. So we'd love if we could get on iTunes right away. You'd make my day. You'd be a part of history. You'd also have a chance of winning a $50 Amazon gift card. What could be better than that? Thank you so much. Thanks for the support. And now let's get into today's show. 
The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 217. Out of the 10 most visited cities in 2015, one was in North America, one was in the Middle East, two and a half were in Europe, and five and a half were in Asia. Can you guess what the halves were? We're going to talk about that city in today's show. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show which teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who I claimed will always be better traveled than me, but now that I found out he's never been to Portugal or Oregon, I'm not so sure. My good friend and fellow travel lover, Nick Hirsch. Hey, Trav. I, uh, I, I'm happy this is finally uh, making you feel better about your travel habits. I, I feel okay now. If you guys missed it, this is part two of our top 10 cities in the world episodes. So if you missed part one, you're going to want to go check that out. We just got finished recording that. That came out a little while ago. So you're going to want to go and check that out because we count down our list from 10 to number six, each of us. And um, this is the continuation of that. So now we're getting into the real favorites, the big boys, the most important, I won't say most important cities, our favorite cities in the world. And uh, lots of cool stuff that we hit on in part one, Nick. I basically name dropped any city I had ever been in as an honorable mention, and then we kind of discussed it. So if you're ever interested in any city in the world, basically... We kind of brushed over it in that first podcast. Yeah, and it's easy to have an opinion on a place if you haven't been there, which I've um, you know, kind of just react to things and what you've read. So Yeah, so lots and lots of cities are were named in part one. Check that out. You can get that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Of course, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, everything like that. And we want to hear your feedback because the, the cool part about doing these list episodes is, one, I have no idea what's on Nick's list. He has no idea what's on my list, but also is getting the feedback from listeners who either agree or even sometimes more fun, the people who don't agree. So if you have some favorite cities in the world, you can tweet me at Pack of Peanuts. Let me know what some of your favorite cities in the world are. Or of course, you can drop it in the show notes, which live at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Tell us what cities that you really liked, or if you disagree, if you definitely hate San Francisco, because that was on both of our lists on the first podcast, let us know. Or maybe you really love San Francisco, in which case you probably live there and you have a place where maybe we can stay and crash at. Then really (laughs) let us know, because that place is expensive. Mm -hmm. So let's roll right into it. We're going to start with each of our number fives, counting down to our number one favorite city in the world. And um, I'm really intrigued here, Nick, because you came up with some really interesting answers on the first episode And I don't know what to expect because you have been, despite the fact that I kind of picked on you there, um, that you hadn't been to Oregon or Portugal, which which came out in the first episode, um, you've been to a lot of places and seen a lot of the world. So what is your number five city? I think number five won't surprise you in the least. It's uh, Sarajevo, actually. And yeah, I I didn't really know where to rank it because it could easily be number one or it could be outside of the top 10 even. I mean, I, I... only been there two or three times and I just absolutely loved it. Um, I think it's sort of like what we were talking about with Berlin where you really have this sense of history about it because it happened during your lifetime and you remember hearing about it on the news. And when I first went there, I went in with all of these ideas of what a, you know, of what like a quote unquote war torn city would be like. And it was probably about 10 years after the war ended. I remember going and just feeling how vibrant it was and how, much it had moved on from that. And like, of course you could still see some of like the, the traces of the siege, but that was not what dominated day-to-day life. And it's such an, a gorgeous city and a gorgeous country. I mean, Sarajevo's in a mountain valley, so it's surrounded by mountains on all sides. 
nature is right there. Which in was your not face. great for the siege because they no, were surrounded no, by mountains not. on all sides. It was not good for easy place to, to keep a hold on, I think, when it's in the middle of mountains. Um, but then at the same time, like it is this vibrant city that has so much going on. And I think, you know, more than anywhere else in Europe, it is exactly where every part of Europe meets. So you have, you know, the, the Catholic Western Europe representing the Croatians who were there. And then you have the Slavic, uh, Orthodox Serb community, which was there, but then you also have like the Muslim Turkish, you know, uh, Turkic feel to it. So the architecture is all different things. Um, you know, Sarajevo is famously the only city in Europe that had a church or a Catholic church, an Orthodox church, a synagogue and a mosque on the same uh, city street. Yeah. Well, that's why we keep you around for, for facts like that. Man. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I, I will agree with you uh, having, I went to Sarajevo based on your recommendation and the two things that struck me the most was one, how, how much the city has moved on, but also how long ago it had been. So in my mind, you know, the war, if someone would have asked me, I, we went in 2014, right? So if someone would have asked me, hey, how long ago was the war? I would have said, I, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, whatever, you know, it just happened. And no, it was actually like in the early 90s, like we're talking 25 years ago, right? So I, it was interesting that it, to me, it felt like it had just happened and I think that happens when you get older, you think like things are closer than they really are. But the other part was that even in the city, so you go into the Turkish old quarter and then they have that, um, they have that thing on the street. I forget what it, what, what it says, but it's like a delineation line. So literally you have the Turkish old quarter and then there's something on the street that says, I, I don't know, it's like a plaque or it, there's like a line that they put in the street. And then right on the other side of that is the Western European style building. So like, you know, typical Western Euro European style, but they butt up right up to the Turkish old quarter. I mean, they're right next to each other. And so I, I haven't seen anything like that really in other cities th that is, like you mentioned, that close, like people living in uh, such proximity and now such harmony with so many different cultures being there. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it sounds like Bosnia politically is still really crazy. And it's, you know, there's, I, I think the war is not as over as people think it is. And it, you wouldn't necessarily realize that as a tourist, but there is this like urgency underneath everything that you don't really feel. I think so much of the rest of Europe, even like other parts of Eastern Europe, you know, I think there's just a lot of complacency. And you don't feel that way in Bosnia. I think there is a like a fatalism to life, and they think that everything's going to turn out poorly. But um, but there is this there's this vibrancy that you don't really get elsewhere. Well, and you know, one of the things we kept hearing from people was, you know, we want to get into the EU, we want to get into the EU, EU, which, like you said, there was this urgency of like we have to get in, almost like before something else happens. Like let's get in before something happens, and then they won't let us in. And it was really interesting because you know you come from Croatia, uh, where we had been coming from, which is, you know, pretty different. And they're in the EU and they just kept mentioning like, well, Bosnia won't be part of the EU because of the fact that, you know, we still have so much, they, they just kept talking about the, uh, the government and the corruption in the government, which I don't doubt. Um, obviously you, you don't feel it as a tourist and you don't know it, but they just kept saying like, no, 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 we're way far behind. We're really far behind from some of these neighboring countries like Croatia, Slovenia, stuff like that. Um, which I, I, they would know better than me, but it did. It felt like an urgency of like, let's move ahead. Like they were so ready yeah. to get ahead. And it's, and I think this is going to, to Bosnia was the first time I realized just how small Europe is. I mean, the fact that you can be in Bosnia and it can be snowy and like there's still cemeteries everywhere. And it just it has like a bit of a creepy vibe to it at times too. But then three hours away, you're, you know, in 60 degrees on the Croatian coast in the middle of winter, and it's sunny and gorgeous. You know, it's, it's, there's so much that's right there. Um, and, you know, and Germany and Italy are like 10, 12 hour drives away. So, and, and uh, that's why that part of the world is so fascinating to me. And, oh, yeah. As we've mentioned on some of the other podcasts you've been on, you know, you were going for your PhD in Eastern European tourism. So you are the one who opened up my eyes to that part of the world is like, Hey, there's a lot of cool stuff over here. And, you know, since I've, I visit, I'm like, I just know how right you are because it is everything's so close and it's, it's new, like stuff is happening anew, but it's, it's just so different from the rest of what, from Western Europe. And we've talked about that at length, but 
I just think it's still striking because it is so close in terms of getting your car and you could drive to Vienna in seven hours or something like that. Yeah, it's oh, it's crazy and awesome. You know, that's that's what's perfect about about Bosnia in particular for me. Yeah, and so you're number five, a place that you potentially, probably, very likely, will be living in yeah, within the next year and a half. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll see if this assignment works out, but it would be cool if it did. Yeah, so Sarajevo, yeah, fascinating country. I'm with you with anything in the top five for me really could have been number one. I mean, uh, you know, the, the top two and three are, are maybe a touch better, but any, once we got to number five, I was having a lot of trouble ranking them. Everything on the last episode I really, really liked, but I, none of them would have been my number one. Now we're at a point where like, I could legitimately say my number five, which I'm cheating on a little bit, <laughs> could be close. It could be my number one. And my number five, is staying in that part of the world, there's some continuity here, is uh, Split and Dubrovnik. So I'm lumping them together. Yes, they're two separate cities, but come on. Like, yeah, you'll you'll give me Dalmatia. this, right? Yeah. yeah, I'll give it to you. Yeah, so Split and Dubrovnik uh, in Croatia. It was funny when I went there, you know, everyone knows Dubrovnik or most people know Dubrovnik because it's the uh, jewel, what is it? The jewel of the Adriatic, right? Yeah. And if you're going to, if you're going to know somewhere in Croatia, it's probably Dubrovnik because it's, you know, where Game of Thrones was filmed. I mean, for the people newer, you know, the newer age thing, but really it's just a beautiful old walled city. And I had heard you speak very highly of Dubrovnik and we wanted to make a home base for a couple weeks. So we did it in Split because it was close enough to Dubrovnik. And I'm so happy we did because Split itself, I think, gets a little, um, I, I think it gets forgotten as yeah, an gets actual, overlooked. yeah, overlooked as a destination in its own right. I loved the city of Split. And again, some of that's because, you know, you spend a, a decent amount of time and you kind of settle in. It's great. But I, you know, I wouldn't say go to split over Dubrovnik, but I also wouldn't say vice versa. I don't think if you had to pick one, you could go wrong. Dubrovnik, a little more touristy and maybe a little more picture postcard-ish, but split still, I mean, you can get out to, the, what I like about split is you can go out to these beautiful islands. I mean, that's where the ferries got to the islands. You can be out in an island in an hour and, and the city itself has a lot going on and it's got the awesome, uh, the best preserved Roman ruins in the world. So um, man, I, just an awesome part of the world, right? It really is. And I love, uh, especially like the road between Split and Dubrovnik where every little town is awesome in its own right, you know, and they will all have cool little restaurants and gorgeous beaches. And yeah, it's, it's such an interesting part of the world. And I, I love Dubrovnik because it is sort of like that fairy tale place in a lot of ways. And it, you know, the last couple of times I've been there, there's always been at least one cruise ship docked there so it's always been packed with tourists and yet you just take like two turns off the main drag in old town and you're on a deserted little side street you know it it still has a a way to surprise you which i really appreciate about dubrovnik and that part or that drive that you mentioned was one of the things when we when we shot our video we did a, a video that was uh, the top 10 things to do in Split and Dubrovnik. So again, we combined them, figured it was it was um, easy enough to do. And that drive, just the drive itself between the two cities is, is one of the things to do because as you gave me, I think it's your brother who loved Makarska. Which yeah, is like, he loves Makarska. Yeah, which is a city in between it. We stopped there. Cool little port town. You do have to cross what's really weird, the Bosnian border <laughs> twice in because there's like what that little spur, yeah, that little sliver of of ocean access there, which, sea access, which basically turns like what would be a two hour drive into four hours because you have to cross over into the border because they're not EU, which is one of the things that I was like, you're right, Bosnia, you should become EU so that you don't have to you cross over and then like ten minutes later you have to cross back over and sometimes it backs up, but. Um, that drive was great. And I will say to people, and this isn't on my list, it's a small town, but um, Coder in Montenegro. Mm, I love Coder. That's gorgeous. Yeah, Kotor. Yeah, if you're, if you're driving down to Dubrovnik, keep going into Montenegro, uh, going to Coder. And um, it's, it's also really cool and really different. Like the coast of Montenegro was surprisingly different from the coast of Croatia. Yeah, I mean, that Kotor Bay is one of like the most stunning, you know, pictures you could ever actually see i i yeah that place is fantastic yeah totally agree so just that whole region i know we're cheating here a little bit right split dubrovnik head on down to coder coder's not going to make our list it's a tiny town it's not going to be on our top 10 but uh, we got to give it some love because you told me to go there again and we were blown away it, it reminded me of what norway would look like even though mm. i've never been to norway like with the fjords yeah, and stuff got it was, the fjord and everything whereas the croatian coast is just like beautiful 
white sand beaches for the most part. But I still the the just the drama of that like mountain backdrop going straight into the sea and the piney beaches. Yeah, I, I love that part of the world. Yeah. So all right, Sarajevo, you're number five. Um, split Dubrovnik and Coder. We'll throw that my yeah. number five. So that's an easy trip. There's your trip right there. There's yeah, your right holiday, there. Folks. Two good weeks. There you go. What is your number four? My number four, and I don't know if you're going to like this, is actually Osaka. So okay. I, um, you know, I lived in Japan, and I didn't live on Honshu. I lived in Tokushima, which is on Shikoku, you know, like the uh, smallest of the, the big main islands. Lots of words that no one can pronounce if yeah, they haven't no, been no. to Japan. Yeah, and even people who have, even Japanese people don't know about Tokushima. But um, basically, Osaka was our closest big city, and it was like a four-hour bus ride away. And I don't know if I would ever live there. I think it's a bit too much. Um, but I think it's, in a lot of ways, like the best distilling of all of Japan. I think Tokyo is a little bit too worldly. Um, and I think there's a little too much going on in Tokyo. And I think it's a little too serious. And Osaka... And I would kind of put Kyoto into that as well. Yeah, I was going to say, we should cheat on this one too yeah. and throw Kyoto. Because with Kyoto, then I I don't really disagree with you because Kyoto is like the, the cultural heart of Japan. Yeah, and I think when people think of Japan, they think of you know these massive cities that are just like everything's bunched up in, into these like really urban areas. And you know, most of Japan is like just mountains where nobody lives. Um, so I think when you think of stereotypical Japan, Tokyo sort of fits that, but I think Osaka really fits that. And I think it, it, it is much more Japanese than, than Tokyo in a way, not having spent much time in Tokyo myself. I just feel like Osaka felt more like Japan, but then Kyoto is like the fairy tale Japan. You know, if Dubrovnik is like the jewel of the Adriatic and what you always imagined these coastal Croatian towns to be like, I think Kyoto is very much what you picture Japan to be like, you know, the quiet wooden temples, the, the gorgeous gardens, all that kind of stuff. Um, with also having awesome food, awesome places to stay in the Ryokans, you know, I think there's a lot of really cool tourist options just in a really close area there. Yeah. I threw about 40 cities out, as we mentioned in, uh, in part one of this, uh, basically just trying to cover all my bases and saying, I really love this city, everyone. Um, but it didn't make the list and then gave a reason why I totally forgot about Kyoto. Again, I don't know why I was thinking Osaka. I've only ever been to Osaka once. So unlike you, so you, Osaka was the closest city you use. You spent more time in Osaka than Tokyo. I spent more time in Tokyo than Osaka and more time in Nagoya than either of those two. But I wouldn't throw that on the list because it's no. <laughs> yeah, nothing going on. I mean, it's like fun to party in, but that's it. I would agree with you. Kyoto, if, if you're throwing that Osaka area, which Kyoto is right there. And even Kobe is really close. Yeah, to Osaka is pretty cool. Yeah, I really liked Kobe. Um, it was really new feeling because... Everything was new because they had burnt down and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I really liked Kyoto quite a bit, and it is that traditional Japanese feeling. And I do think that it, as as a city too, it was it was fun. I had some of my best times in Kyoto, like just biking around because it's mm. not that you know, Osaka's the busy part, right? Like right. Kyoto, I think is lucky because it can be this cultural hub of japan whereas like tokyo has to be everything it has to be cultural it has to be like a major city it has to have finance it has to have tons of people kyoto is lucky because it can be this cultural area and the heart of japan but then you have this mega city next to it in osaka so like all the busyness goes away to osaka and that's what i love we'd get bikes and we'd we'd ride through um and and see the geisha uh in that one area i forget what it's called now either way it was awesome. So I'm yeah. glad you put it on there. I don't yeah. totally and, disagree, you know? And, you know, what, it's sort of like what I was saying about India before, but, like, Japan is as far away from the U.S. culturally as you can possibly get in a lot of ways. And I think it's, it's just worth mentioning. It's such a unique place. And it's so, you know, the rest of the world could disappear. And I think Japan would function 90% the same. And I don't know if that's true for anywhere else in the world. I, yeah, it's still that closed i mean it's not a closed border but it's very much like that like they would survive whereas like in the u.s be like well how are we going to buy our cheap clothes like what's yeah. happening here <laughs> like someone has to learn how to make clothes again and yeah exactly japan they just they do it or they would do it um no i 
I'm with you. And I was the, the most shocking thing about Japan because it is so different. And when I had gone to Japan, when we first started living there, I had never been to Asia before. So, you know, again, there's 180 degree from what I was used to. But the most shocking thing was I assumed it was mega cities everywhere. And it's only really like three or four mega cities and they are mega. Then it's so rural. It's, I mean, yeah, so rural. I, I didn't even know that was, I did not know that existed in Japan, this rural area. And that's 90% of the land is these really rural areas. And you lived in one of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's certainly Shikoku in general is pretty rural. But then outside of the, the cities, which are what, like fourth or fifth tier cities in Japan, um, you know, the little town, man, they hadn't seen a, a straight up American in a long time. <laughs> And in comes Nick. Yeah, hey, exactly. Everyone. Yeah, it was fun. Um, my number four, I'm interested to see where your thoughts on this. Um, my number four is Florence. Mm. Oh, really? Yes. Um, wow. So we talked a lot about Italy. We've recorded a, a bunch of podcasts today. Like I'm blowing the cover off this. We don't, you know, we, we kind of batch recorded these, right? So we've talked a lot in some of the other podcasts we recorded about Italy, especially in the European foods one. And um, to me... I don't love Italy as much as maybe everyone else does. Like if I was ranking my favorite countries, which we have done, and I forget where it fell on this podcast. So if you guys listen to it, don't don't kill me for forgetting. But it wasn't. It's not my number one country in the world, even though I love it. But I do think there's so like I like Rome, don't like Milan, don't really like Venice, but I love Florence. Huh? What, f- what about it? Love the food. Um, okay. Obviously, the be- some of the best food I've ever eaten, the best gelato that goes a long way in, in, in my heart. Um, but I and I just I think it's a city that doesn't I mean, it's obviously really touristed, but Rome is like the tourist center of Italy. Right. And then Milan, I feel like takes itself too seriously. I just think Florence is this good in between where, yeah, there's tons of stuff to do as tourists. So that's great. But you can live. It, it's a lived in city. And then you can easily, once you're outside a city, you're in the heart of, or outside of Florence, you're in the heart of Tuscany, yeah. and then you get up into the hill country and the, and the hill cities. You can't beat that. Yeah. You can't beat that. So I, I feel like it's just a good mix of everything that Italy is without being too fast paced and without being like, Rome is, I, I hear a lot of feedback from people who go to Rome, like, oh, I, I think they think it's like a fairy tale where you just walk around to like the, the ruins. Right. Uh, but it's not that at all. Yeah, they're like, yeah. wait, this is like a crazy city with people driving everywhere and people going where it's like, yeah, there's two million people who live here, you know? Um, yeah. It's not just the historical stuff. I feel like Florence is a little more like that. It's just manageable. And I just, I know, I like the vibe. It's it's laid back. It's great food. It's walkable. Um, but there's still people doing their everyday thing there as well. Yeah. And I, I love Tuscany and I, I really like like Siena and the smaller towns. I'm not a huge fan of Florence, but mostly because I've only been there two or three times and was always just packed. Only with two or three times. Yeah. My best and, traveled friend, Nick Hirsch, has yeah. only been there two or three but times. It's, well, yeah, whatever. But it's always just packed. It's totally packed. And it's not, and I felt like I could just never get away because everything you want to see is everything that everyone else wants to see, you know, and like the bridge was awesome and, and the Duomo and all of that's really cool, but it's, you know, I, I, I agree. It is, it is definitely more touristed than I thought, but I also, I feel the way that you feel with Dubrovnik kind of with Florence where we spent enough time there that it's packed like yeah like going in like going into the duomo is packed or or going to see michelangelo's david although that actually wasn't that packed cuz it's really hard to find and coincidentally um and the bridge is you know but like on the other side of the bridge which we didn't stay in but on the other side of the bridge you know it's not near as packed and and that's where like i think the university is over there or one of them at least and we stayed right near santa croce you know the main tourist one of the main tourist areas we had an apartment and um I, once you get out of the main squares, there's so many little back alleys that I I felt like I could get lost there fairly easily. And then, of course, yeah, you, you pop into the main plaza and you're like, whoa, there's a million people with selfie sticks. <laughs> but then we retreated to our little apartment and yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like if I, I could do a month there and I wouldn't be overwhelmed because you would find all the stuff off the tourist path and it'd be pretty easy to find because it's a pretty compact city that... There's all these little spurs that you, you don't find if you're just yeah. going from thing to thing. I think the heart of my issue with Florence is that 
I, I love Italy, but it's everything I love about Italy are not the stereotypical things I expected to love about Italy. You know, like I've loved the countryside and I've actually loved like the castles. I never really put that in the same thought. Right. Um, you would think and, like Germany, Austria, castles, right. not Italy. And, yeah. and Florence to me seems like the stereotype of Italy. Interesting. Um, I, I, and, I will agree. Yeah. And and um, I, I think in a way that just hasn't worked out. Whereas Milan, like I didn't like Milan the first time, but the second time I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And Rome, I've always just loved because it does have that, you know, it is very vibrant. And Florence, I think it is. I just, I don't think I've seen that yet. Yeah, it, it's so interesting because had I spent, you know, we spent much more time in Florence. We spent like five days there once and then we went back and spent three weeks in the countryside outside of Florence and then spent a lot of time going in and out of it. Whereas Rome, I think, could be on my list if I had spent more than three days there, maybe. It's it's just, as we've talked about, it's it's experiential. Like You don't really know because you could go back and you could love it or you could see a different side of it. Um, because I, I really don't like Milan. So here's what you have to do. We'll go to Italy. You'll take me to Milan. You'll show me around. You'll show me yeah, what you like. Sure. Then I'll take you to Florence. I'll show you what I like. And then we can agree that both are okay. Yeah, I'm sure both are pretty awesome in their own right. You just need to do the right thing. Tough life, tough life. Um, Moving on to your number three. So my number three is a bit odd. So I've been there once maybe for like a week. Um, And it's not odd. I mean, it's everyone loves it. The New York Times says it's the best place to go in 2016, uh, Mexico City. Um, But I just don't know it that well. I mean, I spent a week there. um, I walked around a lot of it. But it's just such a massive city. I feel like it's really hard to get your hands around um, and it's very neighborhoody. So um, I know it mostly because, you know, Mex- our embassy in Mexico city is one of the biggest in the world. And we've had a lot of friends who served there. Um, so Marissa and I went down a couple years ago and stayed with one who lived in Polanco, like the really sort of trendy neighborhood. Um, and it's just awesome. Like there's fantastic little food vendors around um, everything from tacos on the street to really high end Mexican restaurants. There's gorgeous parks um the center of town you know you have the zocalo like the massive square with the cathedral um all these side streets coming off just full of shops and restaurants and a huge pedestrian area and then you have like the palace sort of on the hill um so there's just so much going on there and that was just like a sliver of mexico city i feel like there's such a massive part of it that i'm missing that i'm almost like nervous to talk about it too much because i feel like there's people who know it so much better than me this is an odd one because I've never been, and I think that Mexico as a whole definitely gets overlooked, at least in my mind, maybe not other Americans, but I, I think in general, maybe this statement makes sense. I'm going to make it anyway because this is a <laughs> show, right? Um, I think Mexico gets overlooked. I really do. I Gorgeous beaches. You know, it's so close. It's cheap. It has great food. Like if you were to not tell me what country you're talking about and you're like, hey, really nice beaches and, and some ancient ruins, like a really awesome um, capital city that's thriving where you can basically do anything you want. You know, one of the biggest cities in the world. It's it's cheap, great food. You know, you'd be like, oh, man, like Thailand right, <laughs> or something like that, which I love. And then yet Mexico's on our doorstep and I've only ever really spent time in Cancun and Playa del Carmen. That's only been twice. So uh, there's so much unexplored areas of Mexico. And most of the people I talk to, and I know your wife, Marissa, knows Mexico pretty well. Yeah, really well. Um, you know, f- kind of fall in love with it. And I've heard great things about Mexico City, and I've never been. So that's something that really needs to be added to the list and could be added simply Quite as well, easily. right? I mean, yeah. like I could go tomorrow and it wouldn't be that hard to do. Um, yeah. And I think for so many Americans too, we, especially the last couple of years, when we think of Mexico, we think of the border and, you know, everyone, you know, when they were a kid and went to like San Diego would go to Tijuana for a few hours or recently you would hear about like the cartels along the border and how dangerous these cities are. But Mexico city is just like this fantastic world city. That's what and, I was going to ask you, because yeah. in my mind, I was thinking, I don't know, flying into Mexico City, like, is it safe? And this is coming from someone who has traveled quite a bit, but yeah. that's my first impression. Yeah, and I, I feel like walking around a lot of Mexico City, like, clearly, you know, you're not in the U.S., but you're not fully outside of it at the same time. I mean, it's Mexico is very, very unique unto itself, but it's it's not entirely foreign, I think, coming from the U.S., and uh, it, it always felt safe. I know, like, street crime and that kind of thing is a big deal. But in terms of other things, no, it's really, really tourist-friendly. Man, Mexico City. Yeah, that's 
that is uh that throws me for a loop because I and it is it's funny when you say like the New York Times, you know, number one place to go in 2016 because well we have like 15 publications that people like would say that about right like National Geographic, Condé Nast, right? Um, so I feel like every time you talk about a city that's not like a famous like a famous city like London or Paris, it's like this was named the number one place to go. But hey, you know, yeah, for yeah. all it's worth, right? I, yeah, big and like the, the nice thing too is the weather is just always pleasant. So it's at a high enough altitude where it's never too hot in the summer, but it's south enough that it's always warm. So. Yeah, really. Yeah. Can't, play can't play that for all it's worth, Mexico City. The number three city on the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast and the number one city, or maybe we should flip it, right? Which is more important? Number one on the New York Times or number three on the Extra Pack of Peanuts I, I, We'll let the public decide. Yeah, um, I was just in Toronto speaking of like lists, and I love lists, obviously. That's why we're doing this. But uh, Toronto had uh, the St. Lawrence, I think it's St. Lawrence Market. And they're like The number one food market in the world, according to, I think it was National Geographic, right? You know, my friend in Toronto is like, it's not like I can tell you that and I don't even travel that much but it's funny because those lists like you're not going to say the same thing over and over again right so you have to look for that yeah, counter for something new yeah, yeah that counterintuitive um answer um all right Mexico City I'm heading down there get out yeah, of this you cold should. weather you should my number three is probably about as opposite as you can get for Mexico City this is Lausanne Switzerland so some of this again experience-based well all of it's experience-based but some of this is because I spent uh, four months living there. So outside of my time in Japan, this is the longest I've spent living in one place um, other than the States. And talk about getting overlooked. You know, you go to Switzerland and everyone obviously talks about Geneva, um, Zurich, you know, they might even talk about Interlaken and doing all the adventure stuff, St. Moritz, skiing, um, Bern, the capital. Lausanne really is, it would be like sixth or seventh or eighth on the list of kind of like places to go, right? But it's fascinating. I mean, you're right up the coast. You're about an hour train ride from Geneva. And and I love Lausanne way more than I love Geneva. And I spent more time in Lausanne. But I, I feel like Geneva is really, really sterile. And Switzerland as a whole, you know, not that gritty. We all know that. Um, but Geneva is like very sterile. Lausanne has a little bit of this younger, hipper vibe um, while still being very Swiss and very rich. Um it, it's great. Uh, they have the Olympic Museum there, which is one of my favorite museums in the world. Really neat. Um, all The reason they have the Olympic Museum there, in, in case people don't know, which I didn't know before I went to Lausanne, is that the uh, headquarters of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, is in Lausanne. Most of the sports federations are there. So if you like sports, you know their, their headquarters are there. So you've got an awesome museum. You could take the boat on Lake Geneva, which is beautiful. You can go down to Geneva. You can go across to Evian, France. Um, you can go to Montreux, which is kind of the next city around the lake, which has a cool jazz festival and an awesome castle called the Chateau de Chillon. And um, yeah, I you know, it, it's expensive. It's Switzerland. Uh, the food is okay. Like it doesn't have the best food scene, but it has amazing vineyards right outside of it in the countryside right there. And then right near Lausanne, like there, so there's a bunch of these really rich basically um, lake towns right on either side of Lausanne. I lived in one called Roll and uh, just fabulous like estates with really, really nice vineyards and things like that. So it was just, it was a really pleasant place to live. And then when I went back recently and spent two days there, you know, some of it was reliving all my memories, but I found it really fun because I was taking Heather had never been, or she had been there, but we hadn't done everything. And then uh, the camera guy for our Swiss TV show, Kevin, who was awesome, he had never been there. And so we did like in two days, everything that I used to do, they like go to the museum, hop on the boat and they found it really, really fun. And, um, I, I would just tell people not to, not to overlook it. If you're heading to Switzerland, definitely give it a day, at least to a day or two, um, and spend some time there. Yeah. And it's much warmer there too, isn't it? Than, than people would think. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, so what's cool about it is like in the winter, you get up in the mountains and you have, um, Gestad, or however you say it. it's like G S T A A D Stad, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, you get up into the mountains, you have amazing, amazing skiing. But you know, when you're when you're in Lausanne, yeah, you're not in the mountains, so it, it's fairly moderate temperature. Um, like I was swimming in the lake, and this is a bit crazy, but I was there like mid October, and I would jump in the lake, and it'd be really cold, but you know, it's not freezing. You didn't die. Yeah. I, did, I did not die. So. 
I just a special place in my heart, man. Lausanne, awesome. Switzerland. No, I I can respect that. Have you you've been to Switzerland? Oh yeah, a number of times, but I've never been to Lausanne. I've never been to Geneva either. That that whole little corner of Switzerland I've I've missed. But the I French have to get corner, there soon. the French corner. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um. I always explain Switzerland as a country as saying like French Switzerland seems like france but maybe even more like everything yeah. they do so french switzerland seems like france but more french that's exactly um, how i think of it too like the german part is is more german like slightly more orderly somehow and the french part <laughs> is slightly more obnoxious and the right. italian part is slightly more laid back like yeah it's, it's yeah it's a funny really little country when you look yeah. at it on a map that has a lot going for it yeah no it's a it's an awesome country i love switzerland all right we're in number two and number one now so this, any of those three on my list might have been able to be number one, but now the two that I have, these are like neck and neck. Oh, I'm kind of excited to see. What do you um, got for number two? Number two for me, and you might be surprised, or maybe you won't be, is Kiev. Um, I, yeah, I'm shocked. So I mean, I've I, never been, so what can I say about it? Other so than I, I think for... Um, for for some Americans, at least for myself, you know, I was always fascinated by Russia, fascinated by like the Soviet Union at the time we were kids, but also like the history with the czars and all of that. And I always wanted to go. And I think, especially these days, Moscow and St. Petersburg are more hassle than they're worth not having been there, but just hearing about just how crazy Moscow is, how hard it is to work with the Russian government to go there, get visas, all of that. Um, and I went to Kiev last year for like three or four weeks for work and was just blown away, absolutely blown away. And it was like March or April. So it was not like the height of summer. Um, but I think it's everything that you would picture an awesome Russian city to have without any of the pain in the ass qualities that you actually would get in Russia. So the, the people are super friendly the food is actually really good. It's really Western. So there's a lot of like really good restaurants. It has enough of the Europeanness going on. So like it has an awesome soccer team that has soccer teams coming from the rest of Europe to play there. Um, it has all of like the old kind of like monasteries and onion dome churches that you'd expect um, in a, like a quote unquote Russian city. But then obviously it's Ukraine. So it's totally separate from Russia. Very, culturally well maybe not forever man yeah (laughs) um so it 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 basically it was everything i'd want about a russian city and it represented everything that always fascinated me about that part of the world without any of the horrors of actually like having to go to russia that yeah i've never been to that part of the world i know you've always wanted to go to russia and you've you were trying to convince me when we were younger. Oh, this is only actually a couple of years ago. Um, to take what? What was it? You want to take oh, the Trans Siberian? Yeah, you want to take Trans Siberian Railroad, which I really want to do. Except you wanted to do it during winter. Yeah, oh, when it, gorgeous. Yeah, when it would be basically dark for twenty four hours and um, freezing cold, and I, I said yeah, no. But the, those like two hours of sunlight would be worth it. it. It would be cool. So anyone who's wondering, like Kiev, where is he talking? You might be googling it. Uh, obviously, we know it as well. I guess, is it a mispronunciation to say Kiev? So uh, the K-I-E-V is the transliteration of Russian, and the K-Y-I-V, Kiev, is the transliteration of Ukrainian. So it's a city where both Ukrainian and Russian are spoken. And these days, although Russian is the predominant language, everyone is very, very Ukrainian. I mean, there's still like ethnically Russian people who live there, but it's, it's a very Ukrainian city. Okay, um, so if you're so Kiev is the in essence like the, the Ukrainian, Ukrainian pronunciation. pronunciation. Yeah. Kiev is the Russian pronunciation. And um, there's so much of the former Soviet Union that just I, I think is fascinating. You know, just this massive, these massive abandoned factories. Now, I mean, the the fact that they were like the U.S.'s main rival for so long, yet had these horrible social problems that they still haven't you know overcome. And I think to go there and see that and meet the people, it's just it's. It's just such a different place. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't recommend Kiev enough. It, I loved it. Yeah, so it's it's you know we were talking about Eastern Europe, but we were just touching on the the most Western part of Eastern Europe, like the beginning, right? If you're coming that way of of Croatia and Bosnia and and Slovenia and this and that, and then you get out and it's I I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but because you've been out this way, but as you go more 
East, it becomes, and we use this, we've been using this term a lot because I think it's, it makes sense to people. It becomes more grittier and, yeah. and more <laughs> edgier and more all the way up until you basically hit Russia. Right. And then uh, Lord knows what happens when you cross that border. But, um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's so similar to Russia in so many respects, but then so different. And I think uh, Ukraine especially is just trying so hard to get away from that mentality in that part of the world. So, you know, like the vibrancy we were talking about with, with Bosnia and with Berlin, I think Kiev is going through that now. And it feels, I imagine, like a Berlin or a Sarajevo would have 20 or 30 years ago. And um, while still having like really nice places to eat and really cool things to see and good museums and all that. So it's, it's like the best of both worlds, I think, for the moment. What has happened with with the whole problems that they were having in Ukraine, like, have you seen, I mean, you were there, would you say last year? Like, yeah, were you like, there when all this was going on or yeah, after? And it, well, the thing is it's still going on and we right. just, it's, it's sort of been eclipsed, but that part of Ukraine is the far Southeast of Ukraine. Um, what they call the Donbass, the region, and it's still going on, but that's like less than 5% of Ukraine. So you could be in Kiev and you know you're in a Ukrainian city. The flags are everywhere. There's a lot of patriotism. But you don't realize that there's a war going on in the same country. Right. Um, and I... I mean, know, Ukraine I, is a massive country. It really is. It's I mean, all huge. you have to do is go to Google Maps and look at it and be like, whoa, didn't know that it was basically the size of Germany and France and Czech Republic and Austria and Switzerland and Spain put together. Yeah, it's, it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is totally huge and totally worth checking out. I mean, I, I can't recommend it enough. Awesome. All right. So Kiev or Kiev. I guess you should say Kiev if you go there. You should say Kiev. They don't want to. Yeah. It's not Russia. All right. All right. So Kiev, Ukraine. That, man. All right. You're getting getting the title back now (laughs) as most traveled. Uh, Because my number two is going to be a place I think, I'm pretty sure you have been. And I have talked ad nauseum on this podcast about it. But this place feels more like home to me than anywhere else in the world that I've been. And that is Chiang Mai, Thailand. Um, again, it comes back to the whole thing like Lausanne, but even more so. I, I've We've been to Chiang Mai at least four different times. Uh, we did spend a whole month there in a row. And I, it's, it's A, you can land there and it, it feels very easy. Like you could be there a couple of days and feel like it's kind of homey because it's not that big and it's easy to get around and there's a lot of backpackers and a lot of expats and things like that. So you can you feel comfortable very quickly. But what's cool is like the more time you spend there, you, you find out all this other stuff too. And so I, you know, I think for a lot of people, a lot of backpackers and pe- and people who are beginning their travels, they will say the same thing. Like they, everyone loves Chiang Mai, and then you kind of get that blogger backlash of like everyone. I, I actually read an article uh, by a friend of mine who said everyone loves Chiang Mai, but me. And she goes in to say like, well, it doesn't have that like edge that we've been talking about, like that a bank, like there's no edge to it. And like Bangkok has it and Chiang Mai doesn't. Chiang Mai is too perfect. It's just too utopian place for backpackers. Um, I don't care. I love it. I, <laughs> I have a barber there that's super cheap and gives me a nice shave. The best food I've ever eaten is there. Uh, you know, I know where to go and get a motorbike, which is basically anywhere. But we have a motorbike guy. So to me, like Heather, the other day we were talking about where do we want to go and get warm? And it was funny that we were throwing out these other areas that are much closer. Like, let's go to Belize. Let's go to Mexico. Let's go to Panama, blah, blah, blah. And we were like, oh, we could go to Chiang Mai. And even though it's way further and harder to get to, it would be much easier for us because we, it's like a home. It's like a second home. So I haven't had anyone that I've recommended go to Chiang Mai and not like it. I can understand if people say that it doesn't have the edge that some of the other places well, do. If the worst thing that somebody can say about a place is that it felt too comfortable, yeah. <laughs> I think that says it all. I know? Yeah, totally agree. And it's just so to me, like that's a place that I would the, – the way I kind of looked at this is, you know, A, where do I like? But also if I was – how I would envision my travel would be like, all right, I'm going to spend like two months here, two months here, two months here. Like that would be a cool travel to me where you, you just pop around the globe spending two months in a place and maybe there you go back to places, but that's how you like lived your life in essence. And you know, two months would be back home here in Philadelphia. Then it's like, all right, let's move on. Cause now the weather sucks. Let's go somewhere else. And, um, Chiang Mai would be on my two month rotation every time because I just, I really like it. And it's so easy. You know, the one downside doesn't have the beaches, but you know, you hop on a $30 plane ride and you're, then you're in some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. So, um, 
Love Thailand, and Chiang Mai is my favorite spot because Bangkok is cool, but it's super busy. Chiang right. Mai is really chilled out. Huh. I, I could totally see that. I've never been anywhere in, in Thailand that's not Bangkok. Um, oh, and I love okay. Bangkok, but the rest right. of it just sounds – and I've heard from everyone I know who's been there that Chiang Mai is just awesome. All right, so you can have your Kiev. I'll have my Chiang Mai. Exactly. Yeah, we're, the scorecard is evening up a little bit. I think bit. it's pretty close, Travis. But I, nah, I, close. You, I guess to me, you've been to places that um, are more, I don't want to say exotic, that's an overused word, but more off the beaten path, like when you were talking about Oman and uh, Kiev and stuff like that. Those are places that... Maybe they sound more off the beaten path to me because I haven't been there. I don't know. But well, I think living in India for two years, you just yearn to go anywhere outside of India. <laughs> just so. get you out of India. Yeah. All right. We are at number one. If you say Mumbai, India, I'm, I'm going to shut this podcast I, uh, off right now. <laughs> it is not Mumbai. Um, and I, I struggled with this because I love it. And it's such an awesome city. Um, I th- can I guess? Yeah, guess. I want to say Buenos Aires. No, I've never. I've only been to Peru and South America. Oh, so yeah. Maybe maybe Buenos Aires was just number. Okay, maybe we just talk about it a lot because both of us, it's like number one of where we want to go. Yeah, I would I don't love know. to go there. Okay, no, well, go it's ahead. actually it's Istanbul. Um, I think everything that I love about so many of the places I listed already are represented in Istanbul. So. You know, it, it has the awesome food at every price point that San Francisco has. It has the awesome um, east-west mix that Sarajevo has. It has the vibrancy that Berlin has. And it has, like, the big city craziness of Delhi and Hong Kong and Osaka. It's all of that in one. Um, and I think of no other place on earth is, is there such a massive mix as there is in Istanbul. I mean, it literally is where Europe and Asia meet and the Middle East and Russia. You know, it has all of that um, while being an awesome city with friendly people and great food and everything else. Um, It might not be the best for food. It might not be the best for museums. It might not be the best for everything, but it's in like my top three for so many things, you know? I think we should just take what you just said, send that to the Turkish or the Istanbul tourism board. Yeah. Can we get royalties on this? Like, just play this because every city that you mentioned, you know, the ones that were on your top 10, I mean, you just put it really eloquently. It, I have a different feeling about Istanbul. Like I, I went because you and I, not just you, I'm sure the New York times world, I'm sure the New York times named it the number one, place to go in 2015 or something. Yeah. I, I think they actually did, or one of them did. Um, I was underwhelmed. Now, that being said, I went in February. It was rainy and fairly cold and stuff like that. Um, I was over underwhelmed until we then did a program. Some people may have heard about this. I don't know if I ever even told you um, that we did a, a thing called Eat With, which is... Uh. Did I tell you this with Airbnb of like you, you go to people's homes and they, right. they cook for you? Yeah. So we met a fantastic couple, uh, Jenk and Anna, and we went over to the Asian side and they took us around the markets. We're like, oh, this is really cool. They cooked us an awesome meal. We stayed till like 2 a.m. And then we went and met them at this cool bar the next day over on that side. So in the first two days when it was just us, I think I, and again, this is like, you know, we're talking with we there four days total. So it's definitely a place I'd want to go back to, but I just didn't. It didn't do it right away for me the way I mm. thought it would. I could see that. Um, um, I, I, I kind of imagined like I'd be going through all these back alleys and there'd be tents set up and like guys would be selling incense. I, I don't yeah. know. Like it'd be like an Aladdin, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know or something funny like that. Yeah, but we'll get you a pheasant, a monkey, and send you back and see what you think. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's it's such a. I, so I've been there twice. So once I went by myself in like. February or March. And then Marissa and I went for New Year's a couple years ago from India. And I've never wandered around a city by myself and enjoyed it as much as I did in Istanbul. There's so much to see. The hills, like just the topography is awesome. The The mosques and the palace are fantastic. Like in terms of history to, to wander through and see, it's awesome. But then like you go through the East Declay, like the pedestrian street that's two miles long leading up to Taksim. And it's awesome like it feels like this really they cool, have a shake shack yeah it feels like this really cool like european city that's still in the middle east you know but then turkey is obviously entirely unto itself at the same time 
Um, and then one day I just took a ferry over to the, the Asian side and wandered around there and it just felt awesome. And I don't know what I expected, but it's such a wealthy city. I was amazed, especially on the Asian side, how it was like, you know, when you're in New York and you wander up Fifth Avenue on the side of Central Park and just see those apartments. Right. And you're like, and you're like who, oh, who are these humans? Yeah. How, how does anyone have that kind of money? I felt like that on the Asian side in Istanbul. Really? Just wandering around looking and being like, who lives like this? I mean, it was incredible. So I think it really surprised me in a lot of different ways. Um, and I haven't spent a whole lot of time there. But I think in terms of like layers to scratch off, I don't think there's a city on earth that has more layers than Istanbul. That, I, I think that other than if you mentioned like somewhere like Jerusalem or something like that, um, a similar type feel where... I do agree that it. I got a very surface level for the first two days, and it was kind of like, and I think it comes with expectations, you know. And you're like, kind of like, ah, and, and the weather and stuff like that. But yeah, when we met um, Jenk and Anna, and they took us around. I mean, they took us to this crazy bar. It wasn't crazy. It was just like this. It was like the oldest bar in this one part of town, and it was awesome. And you know, like four stories and all these old books. And there was like ton, you know, they're telling us a little bit about the history of it. And that's just like one bar that had no sign outside. Yeah. And there's probably a thousand of them on that road. And, uh, I, I do agree. It, it, it felt like if I had someone to show me around or if I could dive in or, you know, maybe that comes with staying there long enough that, that you just find stuff on your own, or maybe you fast track it by meeting locals and things like that, that there was a lot to uncover. And, that it would be a place that I would go back to and probably like a lot more um, if yeah. I went back to a few times. I could see that. I could totally see that. Um, and, and yeah, and, and you know, now that I'm looking back, it's like, it definitely was fun. <laughs> like, that's the thing, too. I mean, I think we have positive, in a good way, we have positive memories of almost everywhere that we've mentioned. I I guess I just went in with, like, I imagined before I went to Istanbul that if I knew I was making a list of top 10 cities in the world, before going in, I probably thought, this is going to be on it. So the fact that it's not has a different perspective than, oh, I have no idea. I'm going to go down to Istanbul. Oh, my gosh, this is crazy. I think Yeah, exactly. yeah I changing. think that's a very good. We both came in with different expectations. For sure. Um, my number one is one that I actually thought I would have... It went like a roller coaster. So I thought I would have really high expectations of it because it was named, again, one of these. It was probably National Geographic. might have been New York Times. Number one places in the world. And it was number one on one of those lists. I think it was for 2015. So I thought, all right, this is going to be really great. And then I'm like, no, nah, everyone says it's great. I'm, it's probably not going to be as good as I think. And I went, and it is now my number one city in the world. Um, it was recent. I don't know if you can give any guesses based on I, that. I don't. I'm really intrigued. It is Cape Town, South Africa. Ah, the Vancouver of the South. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons why my expectations were a little thrown off because <laughs> everyone's called it Vancouver, right? So I went to Vancouver, kind of liked it, went back, liked it more. So I'm like, I don't know what to think about going to Cape Town. Am I going to love it or is it going to be disappointing? It was not disappointing. It is it's my number one for, for a few reasons. One, the city itself, the city center is, talk about changing, right? Like we talked about Berlin changing and Kiev changing. I mean, this is a country that's gone through some pretty crazy stuff in the last 20 years. And especially Cape Town now, you know, it it's always been a world city, but now it's really a world city. And so you have all this wealth in some areas and you have extreme poverty in others, which is sad, but also fascinating. And it's it's like literally gentrifying before your eyes in some ways while retaining, and someone who lives there might think otherwise because they've seen it change, but as a tourist, while maintaining for sure some edge, I mean, to the point where you know, you're not supposed to go out and walk after dark. And, and I did one night and I probably should not have um you know but at the point where they're like if you get in a car and you drive to where you want to go to eat and you and you walk a block to it that's fine but don't be stupid don't just wander around which i thought i was going to hate because i love wandering around both of us do and so that's the one downside but even still um during the day it's fine you know most of the areas that you go in and you go to some of these areas that are super gritty and really poverty stricken but they're gentrifying because they put in 
like new, not even new shopping. Like they, they renovated like an old biscuit mill as one of the places there. And that's really neat. And then you go to the waterfront and it's like super new and they have the new stadium for when they had the world cup. Um, but it's got fantastic landscape. I mean, you, you've seen pictures, you know, it's oh, yeah. like, oh, it looks gorgeous. It's table like you have the sea and table mountain there. So I, I love the actual, the center city cause there's so much going on and there's new restaurants and there's, it's like, it's like a really weird Brooklyn, like with bigger buildings, because there's all these hipsters coming in and gentrifying stuff and making it cool. Um, but it's a bigger city, so there's everything that goes or, or with it. And um, the other thing I love is that in about 25 to 30 minutes in any direction, you can be sitting in the center of Cape Town and you go 25 to 30 minutes east and you're in one of the best wine countries in the world. You know, and the airport's right there too, so it's easy to get to. You go north and you're in the suburbs looking back at Cape Town, which kind of have its own feel because it's new. Like that's where people are going that can't afford the southern suburbs, which is then where you go if you're like super wealthy, right? And we, you know, you take a helicopter out, you see that these homes are crazy mansions down in the south and then you keep going and you go around the 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 way and then you're in these like small fishing villages in 25 minutes which are like untouched and you wouldn't even really know that cape town had become this worldly city so i just i found it super fascinating and it was unlike anywhere else i had ever been um and it was super cheap when we went because the rand was getting crushed by the dollar so of course that helps. <laughs> that so, always helps yeah it was 13 rand to a u.s dollar when typically it was eight so everything oh, was wow. almost like half half price ish um yeah. and i just looked the other day and it got i believe up to 17 rand to Holy a dollar crap. so now you're going and it's legitimately almost as cheap as going to like Bangkok, not not quite, but almost there. So I mean, take advantage of it while you can. But oh uh, yeah, man, that sounds awesome. Cape Town, it's awesome. Like I, that's another place I would. I I the other night I couldn't sleep and I was looking up Cape Town Cape Town real estate because the U.S. dollar was doing so. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I'll just put a big down payment. I mean, I would get a condo there in a heartbeat and uh, and just come back. I mean, it's far, but just come back and spend two months a year there. Um, we were there kind of in like the off season, but uh, during the summer, obviously, when you can swim, it's even better. So, I, I would I would love to check it out. I've only heard really cool things about uh, South Africa in general, but Cape Town specifically. Yeah, and and that we thought we were going to go to South Africa and spend some time in South Africa, like like we we're going to oh, we'll spend some time in Joburg. We'll drive. We did drive the uh, the Ocean Road out to another town, but we thought we'd travel more. And then when we got to Cape Town. We we're like, why? Let's. Just, there's so much to do here. So. You know, and it's tour. It's getting touristy, but that's fine because it's parts of town and things to do are getting touristy. But it's such a big city that you don't feel you're not like how you felt when you're in Florence, or you feel like you're just in a tourist center. You know, it's a big city, so there's there's plenty of living. Well, going and on. you're so isolated from the rest of the world too that I imagine it, would, it it takes a lot for people to get there. So I think it'll always have that buffer. Yeah, so you got to get to Cape Town, man. Will do. You got to get to Cape Town and Chiang Mai. It's interesting. I I guess I assumed I I. Didn't think you had been to Cape Town, but I guess I assumed you had been to Chiang Mai. So, um, yeah, I haven't. Well, I have been to Istanbul, but only for a little bit. So, your top two and my top two pretty drastically different. Yeah, well, that that's good. You know, I mean, Kiev to Chiang Mai. Um, <laughs> I think yeah, you don't get much more different than that. Yeah. So that that is our list. Awesome stuff, Nick. I I mean, if you aren't filled with wanderlust after this, I mean, I know both of us are. I'm assuming anyone listening is as well. And if they've made it this far, I think they're they're fairly addicted as well. Yeah. So, guys, let us know. What do you agree, disagree with? Um, you can tweet me at Pack of Peanuts. You can also leave a comment in the show notes. Go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Find this show um, and leave a comment in the show notes, and we'll be in there. I'll, I'll get Nick in there, too. We'll look at what you guys are saying because we want to know what your favorite cities in the world are. There's a lot of places out there that we haven't been um, so let us know what, what do you like? And, uh, maybe we'll end up going there. I think we got to take a trip together soon. It's been a really long time. I know it's been a really long time. 
So um, Nick and I will go somewhere that you guys recommend. How's that for a vague yeah, half yeah. promise? That's, that's a good promise, Trav. Let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. let's make it happen. All right, we'll make it happen. Um, if you want to listen to a few other shows, if you're binge listening and uh, you can't get enough of the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast, make sure you listen to our European countries ranked by food. That was a fun episode to do. Um, we also did our favorite travel books, uh, two parts as well, and the best winter destinations in Europe. All of those included Nick. I will be having him come on and doing more shows because, as you guys know, we like to talk. And <laughs> it, I think this went really, really well. Yeah. No, I had a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's fun to relive things, but it's even more fun to dream about new ones. So, Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think what we all, all we have to do is go on to Thrillist.com. And so I just found another one. Like As Uh-oh. I was clicking through Thrillist, and it said, every country in Europe ranked by two somewhat ignorant Americans. <laughs> So Isn't I mean, that what we just did? Yeah, that's like us, right? So we could go through and uh, read their rankings and give our thoughts on that. So all we have to do is whenever Thrillist comes out with a new travel article, we come in, we tear it to shreds, and then we pretend we do a better job. Exactly. There I like go. that. It sounds like a career to me. <laughs> um, guys, if you want to stay in touch with us so that you can have us let you know when we have all these new podcasts coming out and everything that we're doing. Um, You can hop on our email newsletter. I highly recommend it because we have a new podcast coming out as well, unless it's already out by the time we release this. Then you definitely want to go to the newsletter. You can text PEANUTS to 33444. So if you text the word PEANUTS to 33444, you'll, you'll be on our email newsletter, and that will keep you up to date with everything that we are doing. Nick, thanks, man. We just rolled through three podcasts here. Yeah, just ripped right through them. I had a lot of fun, Trav. Next time, we will. I promise Nick um, that we will be doing it in person. So I'll be driving. I'll drive down to D.C., um, hang out at your apartment, and we'll just record a bunch in person. Sounds good to me. Awesome. Thank you guys for tuning in. Glad you joined us on the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast. Thanks for the support. Thanks for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris